following podcast may contain a dash of popular profanities. Friday, you know what that means? We're picking a buck. I need a zapper to happen when I say picking a buck. Pick, I need pick, a little... pick, pick, pick a buck. Yeah, we need a stinger. That's right. I am Frank Hamblin, everybody. Welcome to Pick It a Buck. Pick it a... You don't know how to pick it a buck. You get your dollar bills. In this case, we do a fivers at the end of the month. You get your dollar bills at your work. You tell your boss to uh, get a hat. You got to go out and buy a hat. You put your name on a dollar bill, just like you see on the album art. <laughs> could ever find that you need a sleuth to find out how to look at album art in uh, itunes anymore put your name on a dollar you put all your dollars in a hat you pick it whosever name on the dollar comes up they get the kitty they can go out and have a good weekend of buying these console titles at their local used console store that will sell you a shit game without boxing instructions for five hundred dollars mm. i'm frank hamblin on the internet phone horse mangrove it's time to make the donuts. Go! William Bentley III is here. Go! That's me, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and also join us. This is a four-part show. Clint Cuntberth. That's Clint Cockberth, capital oh. C, capital L. Cunt Cockberth. <laughs> no, Clint. Oh, right, right, right. I know okay. the C and the L throw you off, but my mother insisted my name be spelled that way. Sure. That was popular then. In mm -hmm. the 40s. Yep, two uh, capital letters at the start. I keep saying cunt birth, and I'm like, that's silly, having a baby out your cunt. The only way to do it, as far as I know, unless you're going to get your, your stomach cut off. <laughs> well, you can have babies out your butt, right? One in each cheek. Twins. <laughs> that's how I was I taught. Guess. Yeah, Catholic school, they said that's how you make a baby. Two people kiss. We're going to pick it a buck. Our bucks will go towards the games that we're going to play. Each month's pick it a buck has a special theme that is picked by T.T. Schmookins and her peeny blapper ass thing. And last <laughs> month she picked for us to the theme for this. The theme for. Oh, God, hell. Theme for. To, my recording. The theme for today's show, which is Dungeons and Drag Queens. Dungeons and Drag Queens. And I bowed out of this show because I have no fucking idea what to talk about, but by some circumstances beyond our control of confusion and misdirection and magic, I am in this show. So I will be adding my Dungeon and Drag Queens console pick, which will be absolutely horrible. Should I go first? Because yeah. I didn't understand. <laughs> Did everybody else understand this? Harsh Mangrove. I guess I think we should check on TT and make sure that there's not wires crossed because uh, it seems like she's just putting words that have nothing to do with one another together and is creating a difficulty for us. Well, that's what it's supposed to do. Games. Oh, I see. Yeah, it's a random number generator, except that instead of just saying an adjective and a noun, she goes on for 20 minutes. My hot dog is going to end soon. William Bentley III, do you understand what this uh, topic is? Uh, this is the Dungeons one, right? Yeah, that's right. 
I understand it. As okay, much as good. I know what a dungeon is. Okay, Clint Conkberth. You know what Dungeons and Drag Queens means? It's uh, that really nerdy guy with the beard invented it. You roll dice. Yeah, but Gary this Gygax. Yeah, but, That's but tying in a drag queens, I don't understand. I oh, was I, in a sex dungeon in Dublin once. Well, there you go. And there may have been a drag queen there, but <laughs> I was just kind of a, a passive observer to this. Sure. Did you no, see just, anybody get D twenty shoved in their ass? No, I was just in a, in a place, and they were like, do you want to have a look downstairs at the sex dungeon? And I was like, yeah, of course. <laughs> you know, it was something to see, shall we say. Right on. First, uh, Dungeons and Drag Queens, I had no idea what would be dungeons with uh, drag queens in it. So there was a couple things I thought of. Initially, of course, I turned to my TurboGrafx-16, and the first thing I thought of was World Court Tennis. It was the first thing I thought of. Now, why, why World Court Tennis? Because you have singles, doubles, and you have quest mode. It's funny because it's a password-based quest mode. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that, but not much. Then I thought, oh, no, I don't think there's any drag queens in there. I know there's a green guy, the tennis king that you fight at the end, whose name happens to be Devil. Devil. And he's green. And you know what he looks like? Piccolo. He looks like Piccolo. Okay. You know who Piccolo is? Yeah, from the double, from the dragon, from the dragon, dragon balls, balls in your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> so I was thinking, you know, tennis balls, balls in your mouth, gag ball, ball gags, but Sex nothing. Dungeon. Yeah, nothing happened like that. Then I thought pinball quest for the NES. Well, you have balls there too. You know, your pinball, and which reminded me of PC Engine's Pachio Kun, which uh, the Pachio Kun games, which are story-based games involving uh, Pachinko and his Pachinko family and friends of Pachinko World, mm. going around doing things and playing Pachinko. But in Pinball Quest, you're an actual pinball. You're not even anthropomorphized, you're, which is not really a word, but it could be. You're just a pinball, and like sometimes you just have a smile, but you're just a pinball rolling around. And then I played Pinball Quest, and I was like, well, no, because you're just pinballing with your flippers flying around. And then I thought, well, what about PC Caveman 2? Bonk does go into a cave, but that's not really a dungeon, and he does turn into a drag queen, yes. but it's not a dungeon crawler. It's, you know, side-scrolling, so I said no. So what I did was I'm going to do a bit of a cheat. I'm going to refer to the TurboGrafx-16. As I mentioned, I played through my World Court Tennis Quest version, and the amazing thing about this is, is that you start out as a little tennis boy. You start at your quest, and first of all, you meet a very unusual-looking man. He's got a crown on his head with a big diamond in the middle, or a big uh, ruby in the middle. He says, I've been waiting for you. I'm a king of... I'm a king. I'm a king of Tennis Kingdom. Would you do me a favor? My country has been peaceful. Everyone loved tennis. But it's all over. Evil Tennis King appeared. He took treasures of the royals and snatched the tennis courts. People can't play tennis and are complaining. Beat the king of tennis and bring back peace. I will give you tennis goods and five hundred dollars before you leave. <laughs> I'm is counting this the story on you. Of Billy Jean King. <laughs> it is. That, so <laughs> I guess maybe I should have done this. It's sort of a it's a drag king, but not a drag queen. I'm counting on you to bring peace <laughs> to our kingdom. You go around and you're a little chibi character walking around towns. Try to improve your racket, your shirt, and your shoes. 
So a racket, of course, makes you be able to hit balls better. The shirt allows you to avoid enemies when you go out <laughs> in the outer worlds. And you know how you're walking around an outer world in a role-playing game and you stumble upon people and you got to fight. Yeah. So you're trying to get to these, I think, either four or five hoodlums before you get to the tennis king. So you have to build up your shoes, your racket, and your shirt from E's to A's. So do you play random tennis matches? Exactly. Really? Yeah. Okay. So you're walking around out in the woods. This is fucking awesome <laughs> so far. Yeah. You're walking around out in the woods and in rocks and things like this. You're, you're typical looking things. And then you're trying to outmatch a fucking slime in tennis. <laughs> no, no. They're, they're all people. Okay. But before you get out of town, you know, you have to walk around all the stops to tell you how, what you do. You know, buy shoes, makes you run faster, etc. But the one guy that you go into his house, he says, get information from people. That's his tip to you. <laughs> I am error. Yeah, go fuck yourself. Here's a tip. Go collect some tips. Yeah. Yeah. Hit the buttons. <laughs> Turn off the system. Game over. <laughs> and it has a password save, which is awesome. And it's full of like swirly turds and skulls and all these different types of really funny things uh, to put in these passwords. Pro player tip. You want to get to the very end, put in all turds. <laughs> So the same guy that tells you to get information from people, you meet him in another town, and he says, I'm a notorious strange man. That's all he says when you go oh in a scene. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Are you still a little tennis boy at this point? You are still a little tennis oh boy, and you remain goodness. a little tennis boy. Watch your cornhole, kid. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so you're trying to gather these pearls from the different henchmen, and then that'll allow you to go against the tennis king. And you definitely want to have the magic ball. I can't remember the name of the fucking magic ball before you fight the tennis king, or else he's going to really kick your ass once he serves. That's what the magic ball does uh, to help you towards the end. Now, you have to go through a lot before you get to the Tennis King. And the most amazing thing to me, I think, about this game is that the shirt can cost $30,000. Oh, my God. So you actually have to grind in a tennis game. You have to go out in the woods. coach's lap. <laughs> no. You have to go out in the woods and grind for, for money so you can go back and buy some of these. Uh, I don't know. I find that amusing. I mean, you meet the tennis king. He's this uh, blonde lizard-looking guy with the same crown on it. The other guy and he goes, "Surprises! I'm the king of tennis." And as I mentioned, his name is Devil. When it goes to the uh, tennis sets, now most of the people that you grind against, you're only going to be playing in the lower section of it for one match or what have you. <laughs> tennis. When you go against the higher bosses, you have the three sets matches. I don't know how they play tennis. <laughs> it reminds me, it sounds like uh, what Mario Tennis eventually was, where there's a lot of uh, RPG elements in it. I think it's Mario Tennis on the Game Boy Color, where mm -hmm. you slowly advance through the game and battling better guys, getting better equipment. But in that, also, you're increasing your different skills as well. Right on. When you uh, beat the boss, spoiler, you defeat me. You're very strong. Because of your victory, I'll give you treasures back. Now, the only reason I need to read this is to get into the game I actually played that I think fits in with Dungeons and Dragons. Okay. The kingdom is yours. And once again, it's all turds across to get to this level. Then the regular king, who is the same guy, he's just not green, and he has brown hair instead of blonde hair. You've done a great job. I thank you for beating the king of tennis. Now tuck this back and put on this dress. <laughs> but, he, but he thinks him. 
I knew you would take treasures back. Thank you for bringing back my jewels. I am very pleased with you. You will rule over my tennis kingdom forever. And, period, (laughs) since you have mastered your tennis game, maybe you should have another challenge. Do you like racing? I know that Final Lap has another similar challenge. (laughs) (laughs) The king is shilling. In any case, thank you again. You have brought peace to my land. We are all very proud. Oh, by the way, the Tennis King's Island is not in any part of the... You have a map, you know, you have islands. But you have to get the inner tube before you could swim out to the Tennis King's Island court. The inner tube is also in Final Lap Twin. And yes, Final Lap Twin by Namco has a quest mode. So I thought, well, drag that doesn't, yes, drag racing. So I, you know, it was either I could pick something with balls or something with drag racing. So listeners, picture Dragon Warrior meets NES Open. And that's what you're looking at visually with this game. But I got to tell you, I want to play it. And I got to tell you, that tennis game, World Court Tennis, was a game that even after I had my Neo Geo, even after I had the PlayStation 1, even after I had the Dreamcast, my one buddy would come over and we'd always play World Court Tennis. We called it baby tennis because you're, you know, a chibi. Mm -hmm. But it really is an excellent tennis game, even without the (laughs) role-playing. Although the the role-playing is the only way to really play single-player. You can play your single-player games if you want to, but I would go with the quest mode. Yeah. In Final Lap Twin, I'll go through this really quick because there's not a lot to it. But that's that's what I said, drag, drag racing, drag thing. The quest mode in World Court Tennis, I think, is better than the quest mode in Final Lap Twin. And also because Final Lap Twin sucks. It is a, it is a racing game I did not want to get for my Turbo Graphics until the Tennis King told me that I should get it and play it. Because it is always a twin mode. It's always a split screen mode. And I don't like when racing games are always split screen mode for two players. I like if you're one player, you have one screen. If you're two player, then you have two screen. So there's a quest, and it's, a, it's you standing there with your jacket looking in a sunset. And then you get to enter your name, of course, like uh, you do in the other ones. And then what you find out is it's your pop, and he looks like Hulk Hogan with hair. He says, hello. He says, listen to me carefully. I've taught you everything. Now it's time to prove yourself. First, you must face the local champions. Let's start with local champ Big Mick. Big Mick. You would like that, John, right? Um, Sure. (laughs) Tasteless. Thanks for calling me by my real name. (laughs) Take my car and drive it well. So he gives you the keys to the car. That ain't bad. Go. You must become the world champion. And then you're Make your friend brain dead like Nick Hogan. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) That might happen in here because this first guy, Big Mick, does look like he's a little... (laughs) It does look like he's been a couple head injuries. You win these little races, you go around, and once again, you know, you're walking through the woods and the mountains, and people challenge you to a race. And, of course, you could say, I don't want to race, and, you know, this guy gets pushy, and you have to race. In order to expand the characters more than just four or five characters that are normally in the game, you will randomly face challengers that are those characters, but now they have a Jason Voorhees hockey mask on. 
you race against uh, Friday the 13th. It's so, like that game we played that time. Hover Cop or whatever. We were oh, going AB Cops. Yeah. AB Cop. Exactly. The main people in this game are all sort of cocky, and they give you something special. Um, well, maybe they give you a pearl. I don't remember. But you go around in a surfboard on this one as well. You get to the world champ, and he's this, uh, I don't know who he's supposed to be. He's Alan Pross. So I'm thinking that's a play on a real Formula One racer's name, Alan mm-hmm. Pross, and he's got long blonde hair, and um, he's probably from Sweden. I don't know. Oh, but, that's right. You go to Paris, London, and New York, and you could walk to all these places. <laughs> so it's very it's like funny. Real world. Yeah, yeah, it's very funny. You have a map in here, and then you get the surfboard, and you swim around. You have to get all the secret parts for your car. You build your car parts to get better equipped to f- face different people. And when you get all your secret car parts, then you're at the same level as Alan Pross. It just must be Alan Ross, I think, is probably mm-hmm. just his name. But I'll defeat you with my driving skill, he tells you. And... When you fight the people that are just out in the forest, it's just a one-on-one. When you fight the special peoples in the arenas, then there's multiple cars that you're going against. But when you get to the end, you're fighting all of the goons on the same track, and it's a five-lap race instead of like a three-lap race. And then you beat him and uh, all the other goons that you fought. Pat you on the back, and then your father says, I'm so, so, so happy. (laughs) Son, you work so hard. I'm proud of you. Son, son, you're a true champ. Dad! I don't know if you could hear my hand raising above my head for that. Dad! Oh, my son! And you become the world champ driver. These both have horrible endings. At least in the tennis one, you get, like you said, shilled another game. And this one, you're just given a peace sign for what seems like 20 minutes of song with your dad in back of you. And it says, congratulations. <laughs> Did this come after the, the, the tennis one? You, you know what? They're probably around the same time. But I would have to say it came after it only because of the additions to it, which really didn't make it better. I'm surprised it didn't come with, like... A graphic the end that says, please tell your friends to buy a TurboGrafx-16. That's great. I I have expected uh, the dad character at the end to tell you to go play the tennis game. That would have been conquered racing. I would have felt much better than looking at this static shot. Are they going to roll credits? No. They just play this song and send congratulations. And it's this long, it's, uh, there's no sun setting. It's just a picture. A lot of games did that back in the day. I'm going to post that picture and ruin everybody's game. Yeah, you just sit there looking at a picture going, is, it, is, is there anything else? Is it going to restart? But usually they roll credits over to the thing or something. Yeah. Let's play a shitty song. Oh, God. Don't play that. Play the tennis. World Court Tennis. Cool. The most inappropriate name. <laughs> That's why we called it Baby Tennis because... <laughs> And, of course, the box art has a photo of a female tennis player, like, with the hat and serving a real ball and a real net and a real tennis court and everything else. And uh, you get in, it's just a little, like, (laughs) beep, boop, beep, boop. Okay. Horace Mangrove, go! I'm going to talk about a little obscure title that came out in 1995 by a small developer. I think they were an indie developer. They were called Square. (laughs) Never heard of them. And they put out a game called Chrono Trigger. Oh, oh my gosh. 
Yeah, I know. And this is one of these RPGs that everybody has played, although I'm sure there's some listeners to our show who are probably born after 1995 who have no idea what this game's all about. I'm dying to hear how this fits in with Drag Queens. Okay, well, Chrono Trigger is a watermark for JRPGs, particularly in the mid-90s. Sure. It's most notable for its active time battle system, where there's these time meters above your characters and you have to wait for your turn to attack. And that was really innovated in this game because unlike previous games and previous JRPGs, and JRPG standing for Japanese role-playing games, there weren't random battles. You would see the enemies on the screen, approach them or engage with them. And there was no cutaway. You would always stay in the initial form of where you found them. Does that make sense? And you'd battle them right there. Yeah. It wasn't like the screen would flash and all of a sudden you had a first-person perspective and you're selecting on a menu bar. You just stayed in the game and you could move around and, and fight enemies right there. Another notable thing about this game that, again, was kind of trailblazing for the time are the different techs and magic skills that your characters would acquire and the cooperation that you would have between your characters to have combo effects. This game truly was the pinnacle of its era. It was created by what Square dubbed the Dream Team. You had mm. Hironobu Sakaguchi, the creator of Final Fantasy, Yuji Hurari, the creator of Dragon Quest, and Akiri Toriyama, the creator mm. of Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z, all at the helm of this game. Of course, Toriyama created the character style, which he had worked in the past with Enix for the uh, Dragon Quest, Dragon Warrior series. Sure. Going back to 1995, the game couldn't come out in a better time where it was the height of popularity in North America for anime. This game was huge. I have to implore everybody to play it. I'm not going to go super deep into the story because for those of you who haven't played it, which to me is so fucking shocking, <laughs> that there would be people on this earth who haven't played this game, but I know they exist because I've run into people who've never played Earthbound. Now, again, Earthbound for me is a watermark, but I could see how you may have missed that game. In its time, a lot of people missed it. Uh, whereas Chrono Trigger was the RPG that everybody played in that era, much like Final Fantasy that came out a few years later where everybody played Final Fantasy VII. Yeah, everybody played yeah. it. Regardless if you liked JRPGs or not, everybody played this game. Yeah. For the NES uh, yeah, era. I know why, because the, the trailers made it look like it was an action game. <laughs> yes. And the yeah, trailers gave you like full power and giant screen-filling moves. Right. Yeah. When I played it first, I remember going, wait a minute, what the fuck is this Lego man I'm moving around here? <laughs> you know? It was like, more Playmobil than Lego. Come on, give him that. <laughs> but I don't know right. if that's better or worse, <laughs> Clint. I had two games to pick from when I rented uh, games back in the day. And I remember it was like Crash Bandicoot 2 and that <laughs> came out very similar to time to one another. And uh, I remember renting Final Fantasy 7 and just having never really played an RPG like that before. Just kind of been like, the fuck is this? Why can't I just walk up to these people and hit them? What kind of game is this? <laughs> Some kind of weird diplomacy UN fighting system where everyone gets a turn to fight and speak. Oh and my. Then, like, I just did not have fun. I ran into Crash Bandicoot 2 and thought it was great. <laughs> he sure could do a lot of flips when he jumps, I'll tell you that. Oh, he's flipping all over the place. There's two things I want to mention. First is, I don't know how you can miss Earthbound. It was in an eight-pound box. Yeah, but <laughs> was, a lot of no, I know. it was expensive. The, oh, yeah. the marketing was very weird. Yeah. 
they didn't do a good enough job in that marketing explaining what the fuck this game was. Yeah. Why am I scratching these stickers? <laughs> what am I doing in this game? You know, why and, am I sticking out? half-eaten cheeseburgers out of a trash can. <laughs> the reason it came in a large box was because it came with it, the strategy guide with it, which is pretty unheard of. That's kind of yeah. weird, you know? A lot of people missed this when it first came out. They're like, well, why would I want to play something that looks like this? And now, of course, it's probably worth a billion dollars. So now, you, yeah, you know... And now everybody... I mean, that game is a good RPG. People have exaggerated how good of an RPG it is, but it, it's a solid RPG. Mm -hmm. And w the connection between... Earthbound and Chrono Trigger is there is a, a huge amount of love put into both of these games. Mm -hmm. The second part to what I was talking about was uh, Final Fantasy VII was that a lot of people don't remember this. To ball number one probably sold way more copies than it ever would have because it came with a demo disc of Final Fantasy VII. Yes. So that's like <laughs> what moved that product. Whether people were tricked or if they legitimately <laughs> wanted to play it, it was a smash success. For 1995, Chrono Trigger was similar. Everybody I knew had played this game, regardless of what type of gamer they were. The art style came a year after Final Fantasy VI, also known as Final Fantasy III in North America. What clicked with a lot of people with that game was the crossover of tech and magic, mm -hmm. which is something that you see in Dungeons and Dragons. The other thing you see in Dungeons and Dragons, the uh, tabletop game, is time travel, which is something that this game is centered around. It's all about time travel. You go to 65 million BC, you go to 600 AD, you go to 1000 AD, you go to 1999, the far distant future. <laughs> you also go to the year 2300. Do you go to the Bible? <laughs> yes. That was before Bible. everything. Exactly. Right, John? Yes. Yeah, Jesus was before everything. You go back to the time of begetting. <laughs> That's right. You got to go back and collect uh, two of every animal and put them on a boat. But do you go to the moon? All right, we're derailing your thing here. <laughs> it's okay. Final Fantasy VI came out a year prior to this game, and you definitely see huge influences between the two as far as art direction is concerned. This was a departure from the squatty characters everybody had been accustomed to in a JRPG. Uh, yes, they were humanoid, but they were always sort of chibi. Mm -hmm. Chrono Trigger stretched them out and actually made them proportionally more accurate away from that chibi style, which was a smart move considering the battle system so that way enemies still felt threatening you know in the past you had this little avatar he's this little chibi guy a little boxy type of guy and then you'd have this random battle it would flash to a screen and you'd see a giant enemy on the screen to give you that sense of intensity or, or, or peril in this game because everything kept in the same world there is an overworld but when you're in the different zones in the overworld when you go into a battle, everything stays the same. So it was important to have those enemies look threatening and uh, something that was an obstacle in your way and not just a little chibi dude coming at you. The art direction, again, it was led by Akiri Toriyama. So you have these nice, stylized characters. I can't praise it enough. Again, going back to it being a watermark, this is a watermark for 16-bit pixel art. And then the music, mm -hmm. absolutely beautiful. Primarily, it was scored by, uh, here we go again, <laughs> Yasu Nori Masuda? Yeah, Masuda. Masuda. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we call it pop. Masuda primarily scored Chrono Trigger, and I say primarily scored it because uh, somewhere during development, a hard drive crashed, and they lost about 40 tracks of the game, um, which 
sent him into a fucking tailspin and he had to be hospitalized. <laughs> yeah. So they actually had to bring in a couple other people. Nubuo, uh, you m- <laughs> matter. <laughs> I think you guys want to jump in at any point and fucking. You send me the name, I'll fucking read it for you. Nobuo Umatsu, the composer for the Final Fantasy series, came in to help out because of what had happened. The lore of Masuda originally taking on the role of composer for this video game was because he was actually complaining that he hadn't been on a big project and didn't get the big payday. And so when they did give him this game, he poured his heart and soul into it and losing all those tracks really was devastating to him. But they were able to recover what they did and and, and get a team together and finish out the game. And there's no sign whatsoever in the game that there was anything like that happening. Mm -hmm. Every musical track in this game is just beautiful. It's great music. Something that I, I would listen to outside of this game. Other things that make it very notable that I particularly like is it's one of these games that have multiple endings. Today, that's very common. Back then, this was one of the first. There was a 12 official endings, hmm. and then there was a 13th ending if you went back and played the game again because it gave you that option to play a plus mode where you could go back and play with everything you had acquired through the game. That's great. And in the DS version, the one that I played most recently for the purpose of this review, there's actually a 14th ending. Mm. Um, the, the 13th ending in the original game was cool because if you get to defeat the enemy Lavos very early on in the game's setting. When you do defeat him, you go to end time and you actually get to talk to the developers as avatars on the screen and they'll tell you just little jokes and things about how difficult it was creating this game. Yeah, you uh, actually can walk through um, a bunch of different buildings and talk with almost every person who worked on the game, and then it finally shows you the dream team, and you get to talk to those guys about it. It's, yes. it's awesome. Wow. It's a great game, and I, I had to say, I, I didn't want to cut you off before, but I got to jump in on the music. Oh, please uh, for, do. If, for anyone who likes the music, there's a fantastic album called The Brink of Time, which is uh, a bunch of acid jazz rearrangements. Mm-hmm. of the music from the game. It's really, really good. It could be a little difficult to find. It never came out here, I don't think. I think there's only uh, Japanese versions of it available. But seek it out. It's even better than listening to the music from the game. It's really, really, really good. I'll do that. Plot-wise, I'm just going to give the foundation of the story. Because If you have played it, you already know. And if you haven't played it, I don't want to spoil anything. But basically, 65 million BC, this magical gemstone called the Dreamstone kicks off evolution and creates two sentient species being reptites and humans and there's this conflict between the reptites and the humans but then a cosmic parasite known as lavos crashes to earth and kicks out you're going reptilian right is that why you're laughing or david ike i just thinking typical fucking lizards (laughs) (laughs) the damn illuminati yeah (laughs) you specious racist the gorn So Lavos, which is this parasite from space, crashes to Earth and starts the Ice Age, killing off the reptites and the humans survive. But what the humans don't know is that Lavos buries deep into the Earth and stays there for millions of years and is influencing the direction of evolution so that he can draw the energy from the life forms on Earth and create more of himself or clones of himself to send out onto other planets. 
this story is revealed to you because it kicks off in 1000 AD and there's a fair happening and you're playing the silent protagonist, Kronos, and you go to a fair to visit your friend Luca and see the new invention that she's uh, unveiling because she is a tinkerer. There is some steampunky type shit happening in this game, so if you're fans of that, you'll love this. She's going to unveil a teleporter. There's sort of like an Aladdin vibe happening where the princess doesn't want to be in the kingdom, so she's with the common folk. You run into her now, she's palling around with you. You're helping your friend out demonstrate this new teleportation machine. And what do you know? Something goes wrong. A necklace the princess is wearing that has has like some sort of magical gem uh, on it creates a time wormhole if you will. And she gets sucked into it and the valiant Kronos jumps into the time portal and chases after her and rescues her. And that is the the start of this story. And as they're going through time, they actually learn about the future. And what happens in 1999 is the day of Lavos. Lavos springs from the ground, ejects his spawn into outer space, and pretty much destroys Earth. When they're traveling through time, they get to see a post-apocalyptic Earth in the year 2300. So that's just to give you a foundation. If you're a fan of Doctor Who, you're going to enjoy this too. There's definitely an influence of Doctor Who because there's a character called uh, Belthasaur. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) called Doctor Who. Belthasaur, who is pretty much the Doctor. Mm. And I'm not a Doctor Who fan, but doing the research, I I learned about this. He has a robotic friend who's similar to the um, Tom Baker version of the Doctor with K-9. I didn't Mm -hmm. watch this, so I'm, I'm just... I'm imparting this information. You watched a season of it, didn't you? No, I just dig the Daleks. (laughs) I've never really watched the show. Like I tried getting into it and it felt like a little kid's show. It was very like, you know, it was, it it was meant to be a children's show originally. It wasn't until the uh, re-release and it gained popularity in America and teenage girls everywhere clung to it (laughs) and it became something else entirely. Well, with this game, Balthasar is pretty much the doctor. He has a robotic friend similar to K-9. And the other influence that came to understand was Isla, who is the cave woman who joins your team. There, there's different characters who join your team. But when you go back into uh, 65 million BC and you run into cave people, Isla joins your team, which is a direct influence of Leela, who is the cave woman companion in the Tom Baker series. Mm-hmm. I never put that together. Yeah. So again, and I always you, pronounced it Ayla, not Isla. I believe it's pronounced Isla, but yes, Ayla, A-Y-L-A. It was young right, when Clint? I, Speaking of Clint, I whacked off to her so many times when I was Lila? younger. Leela yeah. or Isla? Both of them. <laughs> hey, hey, Isla's hot. She was one of my, she's one of oh my favorite my characters. Oh my She's, oh. she's always a part of my squad. I would use uh, Isla. I like how that sounds actually a little better than Ayla. Isla and uh, the Frogman, Frog. Frog, yes. There's was seven a- playable characters in this game. There's Kronos, Meryl, Luca, Robo, Isla, Frog, and Magus. Yes, which is a surprise. Spoilers for someone who's played the game. I'm not going to go into Magus, but he is a character in the game that you will interact with, and he also has three generals. Those three generals go by the name. Three genitals. She has three genitals. Dungeons and Dragons. I just keep thinking about the Doctor Who, that cave woman. Look up skirts and everything. I'm just, wow. I got to go to the bathroom real quick. I'll be right back, everybody. Your Google keywords. Magus Clint 
is where the Dungeons and Drag Queens happen. So I've talked about the dungeons. Oh. I've talked about the fantasy tropes happening. You have your steampunks and your dragons and your goblins that you fight, and there's some swords happening. And there's a steampunk dragon, actually. There's a steampunk dragon very early on to get everybody excited. But Magus particularly has the connection to the drag queen portion of the Dungeons and Drag Queens. He has three generals that serve under him. Their names are <laughs> Ozzy, Slash, and Flea in the North American version. In the Japanese version, they're known as Vinegar, Soy Sao, and Manunese, uh, or it, it's a play on man- <laughs> mayonnaise. But I'm going to talk particularly about Flea or Mayonnaise, the ninth boss that you'll battle in Chrono Trigger, because uh, Flea appears to be a very, uh, you know, sexy magician who happens to be a dude in drag. (laughs) It's not like a poison situation where you were punching a woman in the face and then the developer backpedaled and said, oh, no, no, it's a dude. No, Flea goes so far to say, male, female, what's the difference? Power is beautiful and I've got the power. (laughs) Clearly stating this character is in drag. The character has the identification of being male but appears as a woman with its avatar, and there's actually an item that you can steal from him, which is like a woman's brassiere. Mm-hmm. I like to steal his lotion in a bucket. Yeah. <laughs> or else he gets the hose again. <laughs> You're my fucking dog! So there's not much to say past this. It's just when I heard Dungeons and Drag Queens, I racked my brain a little bit, and I was like, did I ever play a game where there was like clearly a drag queen Either the character was a drag queen or I was fighting a drag queen and Flea came to mind. Gotcha. Flea is, uh, no joke, a very powerful and difficult, annoying boss. He actually comes back as uh, Flea Plus, or I think it's Diva Flea in some versions. It might be Diva Flea in the DS version, but D Plus in the Super (laughs) Nintendo version. Very interesting character. Very interesting that this wasn't censored or or corrected or Mm. changed in some way for the North American release. I'm glad it wasn't. I hope I did a good job about explaining this game and getting people interested in it. We could spend a whole show just talking about this game. It's very deep. There's a lot there. There's a lot of items. There's a lot of weapons. There's a lot of techs you learn. Cool cooperative abilities. Some cool boss battles. Like I said, there's 12 different endings. This game is something that needs to be checked out. And I definitely would say that what could be improved, I can't improve anything about this game. This is one of those games that is a a watermark for its genre and for its era and for the system. This is a game that if you haven't played, make it a point. Go out and play it and check out Flea, a uh, (laughs) cross-dressing boss. Suggesting magician who uh, yeah. has an attack to charm you and make you attack your friends. Yes. Because Very beauty seductive. is beauty. Yes. Mm. It's one of my favorite games of all time. Wow. Yeah, like I'd put it in my top five. It's one of the best games ever. It's one of my favorite games ever. Everyone should play it, though. Better than Watchmen? <laughs> <laughs> yes, much better than Watchmen. Oh, the game. Geez. Yes. Wow, it must be good. It's got a robot, too. I almost picked it for uh, last month's theme robot punch. Oh, that would have been interesting. Yeah, because it's got a robot that punches in it. Gotcha. Yeah. William Bentley III, go! I'm not sure if I'm going to specifically broach the whole topic when I talk about this next game, but the drag queen thing, obviously, the descriptor of that is like a dude in a dress, surely. Yeah. And it, but in the Bard's Tale, 
uh, which is the game I'll discuss. Mm. Uh, there's not a lot of great character design for some of the women, so they look like dudes in dresses. <laughs> <laughs> it technically counts. I was just looking at that two days ago, I think. Now, when I heard dungeons and stuff, I was like, cool, I'm talking about this, this is a dungeon crawler. Straight away, this is what I wanted to do. Now, it's a game I wanted to talk about in public, I suppose, for quite a while. It's weird. It got a big release when it came out, but it's one of those games that just kind of fell to the wayside. It's a 3D game, but it's presented in an isometric perspective. And it's a proper, like, old-school dungeon crawler RPG. It's very self-aware. There's a lot of humor in it. it as I said, it came out in 2004 for the Xbox and the PlayStation, etc. But right, I think around 2011, 2012, it came out for iOS and for Android. I played it on my Android tablet. And what's cool is if you buy it, if you get it on there... It's based on a series of older games for the old PCs, I guess. Mm -hmm. And those come packed in with it, so you can play those text adventures with the weird touchscreen keyboard and stuff. I never really got into them, but it's kind of cool to have them all the same. Basically, the game, as it is very self-aware, the Bard himself is played by Carrie Elwes, or Elwes, or whoever you pronounce his name. He was uh, in The Princess Bride, of course, with his weird mustache. Not as cool, of course, as Steve Perry's mustache. But just like that <laughs> you start the game out, and like usually, you know, the way the tropes of these games are, like, you're a wandering warrior or a mage or something like this. Well, in this game, you just play a guy who's a bard and who's a bit of a carny scumbag in that he uses his magical lyre or whatever it is he's playing to get rats to go into this cellar, cause a lot of trouble for these people in a, in a tavern. And then you go in and the woman behind the bar goes, hey, go uh, go get kill some rats for me uh, down the cellar and well, I'll give you some mead or whatever. And at that moment in time, that mean obviously being the big RPG uh, uh, like trope, the narrator comes on and goes, oh, how very fucking original. And, <laughs> yeah. A rat cellar, not a cellar of rats, as no, it no, were, no. but one, a, a cellar full of rats. A cellar with a rat in it, not a rat-shaped cellar. But, or um, this is a cellar full of rattles. <laughs> well, when you go down there, uh, you can, there's this tiny little rat, and you take out your sword and you cut it in half. <laughs> Then afterwards, a giant rat comes out and attacks you and, like, burns him to death and shit. Basically, you kind of move on from there. That's kind of the beginning of the story, basically. But it's also, like, the kind of humor you're going to deal with throughout. It's very self-aware. And it's based on um, the Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance game engine. I don't know if you played those games back in the day. Sure. It just takes that style of game and kind of parodies it throughout. There's a lot of moments in it where you've seen it a million times before in other games but there's something weird going on in this one like later on midway through the game you're in a dungeon and you're looking for a, a magic orb or something there's a big skeleton sat on a throne and the orb is in his hand and the bard walks up to him and just kind of goes you know uh, if i if i take this thing here you're not gonna wake up on me there are you <laughs> and he's like screaming at the skeleton he's like and then finally the skeleton like it just kind of goes look i've got one gimmick i do and this is it please just let me do it like take the orb so i can kill you <laughs> and uh, after that you convince him to help you there's some weird versions oh i'm not sure if this happened i have the playstation 2 version but i've never actually played through it uh, the last time i played through i played through on the android and um there's a weird thing that happened where 
there's a city I wasn't supposed to be able to get to yet. Each area you go to is a chapter, and say there's 12 chapters, but I walked into, say, chapter 11 when I should have went to chapter 7, and I was still able to play it. I don't know if that makes sense to listen to, but um, <laughs> you're, I accessed a part of the game I wasn't supposed to yet, mm-hmm. and uh, everybody was all leveled up. And like trying to get to the city, there's all these like mega leveled enemies. I'm there going like, well, I guess I should be able to beat these people because this is where I'm supposed to go, right? <laughs> so it took me like days to get past all these fuckers. I killed them all, get to the town, and then this Viking guy goes, thanks for setting off that avalanche earlier on. You helped us take over this town. And I was there going, what fucking avalanche is he talking about? You know? <laughs> and then I go look at the map and I was like, all right, there's the mountain. I was supposed to go to next. And everything in the game is, is happening all the time. And you just are supposed to come to it when you're supposed to, I guess. I should have got to that town and it should have been fine. But I get there and future events that I have yet to influence <laughs> have gone down. It was completely bizarre. Is this by In Exile? It is indeed. Two ninety nine in the App Store, half price, fifty percent off. Jump on that. Definitely worth it, and it plays well on the the touchscreen stuff. It's a single player game. It's more action orientated than a lot of RPGs because there's no real class management or inventory management. There are other characters with you, but they're all just familiars. So it's like you get mm. a, a wolf and a witch and a suit of armor and stuff. And of course, the narrator goes on about how the only friends you're able to have around you are magic friends that aren't really your friends. <laughs> All those stupid things you do in RPGs, the, the narrator kind of calls you out on. So when you're looting houses and stuff like you would in Zelda or whatever, he'll just talk about who you're a criminal and you're breaking into people's <laughs> houses. It's a tough game. It's easy to get into, but... it really gets hard once you go up. I remember getting to this farm and there was all these wolves around us. It was a massacre. There was no way I was getting around these things. It just like pure grinding to just get past these three fucking wolves that weren't even boss characters at all. Like The bosses are pushovers in comparison to the wolves. If you're into like the fantasy like dungeon crawler experience, I would definitely give it a go. Uh, if you're into the podcast fantasy fiction as well, this is kind of the closest thing you'll ever get to a video game of that. I know whatever Keith's gimmick name is, he's into it. <laughs> and um, I would definitely recommend it. Yeah, that's all I got. It is the number one role-playing game in 75 countries, including the USA, UK, Australia, Canada, France, Germany, Italy, Spain, Russia, Japan, and China. Is this on the store? Yeah, on the store. Number oh, one okay. role-playing well, game. I don't really know who made it. I know NXL made it, but I don't know who their wives and families are. Stuff the way you guys did all this research on all your games. I just talked about my experiences with it, and I think it's really fun. I think everybody should check it out. Neat thing what? is you can sync your iOS version of the game with your Mac version of the game. Oh, cool. I For think all those seven imp- people who play with games th- on Mac. <laughs> I think that's important. Why do you think isometric games are so popular in Europe as opposed to North America? I don't know. I mean, it's definitely, it's a Euro flavor. Yeah. When I see isometric games, I do kind of associate it with that kind of Euro thing. I don't know. Board games are really popular in Europe, so mm-hmm. it could kind of be a replication of that. Like, especially in Germany, board games would outsell video games every day of the week. I always wondered that because I, I just know there's like so many isometric role-playing games, dungeon crawlers, is particularly in the UK, that never came over here. 
I think it's because you get to see a more fleshed out version of the landscape and how you interact with the landscape because Europeans don't have very good imaginations. <laughs> well, there is that. But uh, when you go back to the Spectrum and the mm. Amstrad and stuff, it was very easy. Well, not easy, but like it was possible to do isometric games well on those systems. Right. So that was kind of the building block, probably, of a lot of that style of game. Like, I don't know if you ever saw Batman on the ZX Spectrum. You never leave Wayne Manor. You're <laughs> <laughs> Batman needs to go into town to fight people. But first, he must go through the catacombs of Wayne Manor and find all these gimmicks so he can head on out. Like, you know, and you're, it's literally just like a big fetch quest. And that's, you know, there was another one. Um, it only ever came out in Spain, but I've always wanted to play it. I don't know if you've ever read the book, The Name of the Rose by Umberto Eco, or seen the movie with Sean Connery and Christian Slater. It's basically about weird sex crimes in a monastery in like the 1500s and stuff it's it's all about like repression and stuff it's really good so but, it's a uh, comedy <laughs> yes it is yeah <laughs> sorry i was gonna say something really horrible there horace <laughs> <laughs> um, you said in the past that you can smell that euro style off a game yes. like you know and uh, i know what you're talking about like because i remember when i was a kid and I'd go through like boxes and stuff, and I would be just like, uh-uh, "This looks like it's from France. I don't want to play it." Like, you know? <laughs> like I want to play the game that's from Japan. I do like that style of game. I like the isometric uh, style of game. We had some games, but it never clicked like it did. It's particularly on the PC realm in Europe. Warcraft and all those big yeah, Diablo. Right? We got Diablo over here, which has that uh, isometric view, though it's uh, less strategic and more action oriented. But I'm talking more quantity over quality, though. Like we, of course, like Diablo and Warcraft are good examples for strategy, and really, strategy games adopted that perspective in the '90s here. But in Europe, they had so many role-playing games in that perspective, and it just always struck me as odd as why that was so popular over there and not here. I just, yeah. Figured it'd be well, a good weird, discussion. Like the, the strategic in Japan, like with the Kessen games and Nobunaga's mm. Ambition and stuff like that, the Sengaku period games, I don't see any way into. I feel like I'd need to be reading manuals since I was 10 to be able to figure them out. <laughs> you know, they, they look so deep and they're so intimidating. They're crazy big over there. I mean, everywhere's got its own little weird gimmicks. Like, uh, I think in Holland, like the MSX took off like crazy and nowhere else outside of Japan. You still talk to people from Holland and it'll just tell you like, oh yeah, I love Metal Gear. Well, they're <laughs> still the playing a master system in Brazil, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. If it still works, why not? Like, you know. I think if you would have been a little bit older, the C64 just had tons of role-playing games and Dungeons and Dragons type inspired titles of that type of perspective. Well, all types of perspectives, but there's so many C64 role-playing games, it's pretty stunning. Right. And they even did branch out to things that even went into more modern contemporary time role-playing games. I can't think of them off the top of my head now, but I know I have them in the closet on flop. William Bentley III, I don't know, for some reason when he brought up Bard's Tale, it reminded me of Snatcher, and Snatcher probably had drag queens in it. I should have talked about that. 
Because mm. it was, you know, a Blade Runner type of cyberpunk ripoff. Uh, sort of weird. Ah, it's just such a great game. You can get it for your Genesis Sega CD, but the PC Engine CD is the way to go. It's just that it's all in Japanese. Because there you get the nipples and the heads being blown off with blood and robot heads and things like this. So That's back to the Root and Tootin game you were playing. Uh, the RPG in Japanese. I mean, did right. you play Snatcher in, in Japanese? I did. I'm not sure if I made this joke on the other episode, but I just love the idea of you sitting there <laughs> just pressing buttons for 10 times longer than you're supposed to be playing the game because you're just making errors. And I then did. at the end of it, you just go, well, I guess that made sense. <laughs> <laughs> I really didn't take that much longer to play the Japanese ones as I did the American ones because I think at that time... You didn't didn't have to read anything. You're just like, ah, click, 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 click. That's true. (laughs) But not only that, a lot of those games, you really didn't know where the fuck you were really supposed to go. I mean, it said you had to go here, you had to go there, but it didn't necessarily relate to a place on the map. It's up north. Well, northeast, northwest, north middle. You'd often go back to towns that you had no place in being. So, like, when you went to a town that you weren't supposed to be at, you'd get a lot of exclamation points, you know? (laughs) Or shortness with the people that you talk. I don't know, but we played Japanese role-playing games in Japanese, and some were impossible. You know, some Dragon Egg, I don't think I did very well with, but other people did. They got through it with no problem. It was really hit or miss. You never knew. Clint Cockberth, Go! Well, actually, Horace Mangrove took my pick. Oh. I didn't want to, to bring it up. That happened. But, uh, he swiped it right underneath. He swiped it right out from under me. I, Flea was actually one of my uh, favorite and most hated characters when I originally played that game. Uh, he, she is very, very difficult. But in talking about Chrono Trigger, it reminded me of another game by the then known as Squaresoft, now Square Enix. Uh, and we already talked about it. Final Fantasy VII. Everybody oh. knows the game. You get materia. You use it to put in your weapons and your armor. It gives you magic. You fight the long-haired, white-haired <laughs> guy with you the into sword. It's an action game. <laughs> yeah, they trick you into thinking it's an action game. You also play the game for hours and don't understand a lick of it. The storyline makes absolutely no sense. It's about people thinking they're other people or do these other people even exist? And there's a, a stream of life that runs through the center of the earth and the one girl is the entity of it but she dies and everybody was sad and then everybody said oh you can get her back in the game but you couldn't because that kind of shit went on back in the day but anyway I just want to talk about a part in the game where you are playing the titular character Cloud with uh, Eris and your friend he's not what's titular am I using the word wrong yeah if he was titular his name would be Final Fantasy right oh the name and the (laughs) right see I'm using words wrong or the game would be called Cloud that would actually yeah. that would be awesome. Wasn't there a game called Cloud? I'll tell you what. The biggest thing I could shit on Final Fantasy VII for was making us think that the bouncer would be a good game. Yes. <laughs> and I actually liked that game. What? I played the shit out of the bouncer, maybe just because nothing was out for the PlayStation 2 and I got it early on, but I actually leveled up all my characters in that game to ridiculous heights, got almost everything in it. Yeah. Anyway, uh, 
back to me using <laughs> words wrong, trying to sound smart. Um, <laughs> you failed the SAT. Move it, on. Yeah, there's a specific part in that game where uh, Cloud and Eris need to rescue Tifa from an evil mafioso type character named Don Corneo. Uh, <laughs> the only problem is you can't get in there because you are a male and he only allows females in. <laughs> Bosom buddy. Yes, so you have to, through a bunch of fetch quests, dress Cloud up as a woman to get in to rescue Tifa. You have to get specific items. They don't tell you this, but they have certain point values. And if you get all the best, you know, a satin dress, the best blonde wig, a sexy cologne, uh, which you get from a woman in a restroom, you bring her some digestives and she gives you a nice cologne. Uh, you have to go to a gym and challenge a guy to a bunch of squats. He's the what he gives you the blonde wig. What uh, are you squatting it, on? Yep. And then you have to uh, you have to get into a place called the Honey Bee Inn, which is basically a, it's a, it's a flop house. It's a cat house. Yeah. You need to get in there. Forgot all about this stuff. Yeah, you got to get in there. I, I had two until Horace Mangrove brought up Chrono Trigger. You have to get a lingerie bikini briefs, uh, a woman in there to put makeup on you, and a diamond tiara. And there's all sorts of craziness that ensues in the Honey Bee Inn. You basically, Cloud can get like a train run on him. The best part is when uh, you go up to the mirror and you hit X and Cloud goes, I'd fuck me. I'd fuck me hard. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. and You're saying he's getting a train? I don't remember well, yeah, that like, part. Like, there's a part where like you go in a room and it's all dark, and there's a bunch of like sound, like noise, like yeah. hoof, hoof, pound, pound, or something. I mean, it's and like then the lights you, come on, and there's just a bunch of like dudes in like speedos and onesies. <laughs> Does rainbow uh, dick happen? Uh, that was popular with the kids. Uh, girls would never popular with the kids. That it was, was very popular with the kids, my friend, and that's why I wished I was a kid when I heard about this. <laughs> It was called rain. Oh, you put on different types of lipsticks. That's what it was. Oh, and uh, and you, you a, a man would go down a line of, of women with different or men, I guess, with different, <laughs> with different put on the lipstick, different color and lipstick. Go down on the women. Go on, Wiggly. It was called. It was called Rainbow Dick. Yeah. <laughs> it might happen. There's also a room you can uh, eavesdrop on where there's. A, <laughs> it a, might a, happen. <laughs> it might. I don't know, man. Do There's check? a lot of weird stuff going on in the Honey Bee Inn. Okay. It's spelled H U N N Y. And uh, you can oh, eavesdrop like on <laughs> So you can, yeah, you can fuck Winnie the Pooh. Yep. <laughs> there you go. You figured it out, John. The place is run. Don that's, Corneo is Winnie the Pooh. That's why we, Eeyore has a removable tail. <laughs> oh, bother. <laughs> oh, bother. <laughs> Christopher Robin, not in there. <laughs> so, uh... <laughs> I can't remember the one that talks with a whistle. <laughs> oh, see, see, yeah. Piglet is definitely a bomb. The groundhog, the groundhog is like, hey there, Shani. <laughs> hey there, Shani, I got a hair stuck in my teeth. Got some pubic hairs in my teeth. <laughs> this is a great video game. Winnie the Pooh <laughs> actually poos on your chest. 
But uh, the Chicago uh, steamer, Winnie the yeah. Pooh. No, there's, there's a, I wanted to say there's a room you can eavesdrop on where you actually. Wait, I really need to take this all in. How many, how many fecal and perverted? Talk me through what you know about the, the old steamer there, right? Yeah. Because I heard, I've heard some variants on it where you put um, cling film on your chest. Oh God. <laughs> And someone takes a big hot dump on it, and you have to lie there while you wait for the heat from the shit to melt the plastic. Yeah, and Is that what you're talking about? Oh. <laughs> there's, there's, two different, there's two different types, and I can't really remember. You shit on a girl's chest, and then you slide your ass around on her. Okay. Yeah. Talking about shrimping next. What the yeah, hell? Shrimping. The safe sex version of that is, of course, glass bottom boat, right? Glass bottom boat. Oh my! Uh, I am in tears over here. I have no idea what we're talking about. So talking good. about Final like, Fantasy chicks seven. with what? dicks. Final yes. Fantasy seven. Yeah, cross dressing. You are Final chick Fantasy with dick seven. in there. Yeah, yeah. You get cloud, and if you if you get all the best items when you go to see Don Corneo, he picks you, and you can almost kiss him and all this stuff. And it's, <laughs> it's, besides that, yeah, Final Fantasy VII. I'd set it as a watermark in when the public was made aware of JRPGs, even if they were tricked into playing a JRPG. I definitely had a few friends who got this just based on the commercials, and then immediately had to go and buy a player's guide because they had no. No fucking clue what to do in this game. I have never actually played through this entire game. I've played through a lot of it. I've watched friends play it and complete it. Lots of secrets, lots of hidden items at the end of the game, hidden bosses. Uh, don't try to figure out the storyline because it broke my brain as a teenager because it, it just makes no sense. But it's a lot of fun. It'll never get remade, guys. Everyone out there clamoring <laughs> for give up. an HD remake. Give up. Years ago, Squaresoft or Squeenix or whoever it was, somebody there lit a headset, put out a statement answering this question years ago saying, until we make another Final Fantasy that outdoes Final Fantasy VII, we will not go back and remake Final Fantasy VII. And it ain't ever gonna... So that's why we're gonna make a game that doesn't get good until you play through 40 fucking hours of this. Yes. Final, was that Final Fantasy thirteen? Yeah. I, so. I don't know if you guys will agree with this, but for me, that game, and I didn't know it of the moment, but I'm saying now, retrospectively speaking, that game was the start of Square's hubris. This is the game that led into things like Final Fantasy, the Spirit Within movie happening mm -hmm. and nearly tanking the company. I, uh, I feel like they were just on such a high coming out of that 16-bit era. They're like, we can just shit in a box and put our logo <laughs> on it and it will sell. And it did for a very long time. Mm -hmm. Until it didn't anymore, and the now bouncer. they're trying to reel it back in. Would you guys agree with that? Definitely. Uh, I would say seven is near the start. Uh, eight, not that great. Final Fantasy nine, I think, was uh, really good. It was them trying to return to their form of being much more medieval uh, in their setting and whatnot. Uh, I definitely think it's nine is better than eight. I think it all really ten was where it was just like, what are you doing? Yeah. Why did I just sit through this 15-minute oh, cutscene of these people pretending to laugh? This is bullshit. With the sequels, too. Uh, 10X2 or 10-2 or, or whatever it was. It's like, really? This is the best you guys can come up with? The best they could do is make a sequel where it's all girls and they play dress-up. And mind you, the whole series, Final Fantasy, started because the company nearly went under. That was their swan song. 
with the first one. And then you flash forward a couple decades, and now their head is so far up their own ass, they don't know what anybody wants. It's no. not even Japanese audience. They don't know what anybody wants anymore. It's at the point where they've made a MMO and then completely remade it because everyone hated it. But there are great games out there made by these guys when they were known as Squaresoft. So Chrono Trigger, Final Fantasy VII, still great games. Can't take that away from them. A Cleveland steamer is when oh you, you want, <laughs> is when your partner's asleep and you leave them a dump of shit on their chest because you're mad at them, and then you leave. Cleve- Nobody has ever done any of these. <laughs> they things. have. Cleveland steamroller is when you're titty fucking a girl, and then you shit either during the titty fuck or uh, after, and then you go back and forth like a steamroller. I now, can't wait <laughs> to share this episode with my wife. <laughs> a Boston steamer. <laughs> Is when you take a shit on someone's chest during or after sex, and then you teabag them. This is not going to be in the final show. It is. Now T.T. Schmookin will tell us the theme of our next month's episode. Hopefully it doesn't have to do with steamrollers or steam. Bigfoot by Nico Kachawa. My name is Titish Kmukins, setting the premise of next month's We Talk Games, Video Power Magazine, Pick a Debug Program. Using my Pennsylvanian Electronic Numerical Integrator Computerized RISC-I Triple E48 Gigaflops Blast Processor Emulator and an Adjective Subject Service Generator, also known as the Rosenstein's Information Technology and Enriched Elbow Macaroni, We Talk Games. Committee for Podcast Conformity and Listener Integration, P. Ni, Akari, Rob, 48, Blapparas, G2000. Next month's premise will be. Ramboed. Did she say ramboned? Sounded like it. What? No, ramboed. Okay. I was thinking about the Boston steamers and stuff. Did Sika huh? star in that movie? She did. Sulka did. Hey, steam is always relevant. That's what the kids play their games on these days. <laughs> That's true. That's why they call it steam. Because yeah. of the heat that rises off the poop. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, we're all going to throw up. Uh, so before we do that, and that's a whole different type of fetish, I think. I don't want to know. It's, no, I do. Well, I know what it is. No, I, we really don't want to know. We really don't want to know. <laughs> Pooping on someone is one thing, but throwing up on them is just too much. And you got all upset about a My Little Pony doll being boiled and cut. Oh. <laughs> you know what I'm going to do? You know what I'm going to do for those words you say to me? <laughs> I'm going to tolerate and love the shit out of you. Yeah. I'm going to uh, love the shit out of you onto someone's chest. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I think I know what the one called with the saran wrap. It's called giving them a mummy. Oh, oh stop it. <laughs> okay. That makes sense. Getting Ramboed. See you Everyone, next month. Yeah, Probably see you not. next month with Ram. <laughs> you will not tune in. For William Bentley III, Horace Mangrove, Clint Cockberth, 
I'm Frank Hemlin. Remember, pick the bucks! Would you? I'd pick it to buck me. <laughs> That's from the movie where she goes, uh, Hey, mister, you need some help? Would you? <laughs> Oh, <laughs> <laughs>